Thank you, thank you, thank you. Love you guys so much. Uh, how's everybody feeling? Good. Uh, amen. I'm, I have a lot of faith for this morning. How's your faith? Good. Um, well, for those of you guys who have been with us, um, we've, we've been kind of walking through for the past few weeks what we call our manifesto. And, and what we've learned is that a manifesto is a declaration of intent. And so what we have crafted as a church are these things that we're saying, you know, we want to build, like here, this is very simply, this is who we are and this is who we want to be, right? That, that's what these things are. And what we've been fighting for over the past few weeks is really for them to, to, to get so deep into the fabric of who we are because the manifesto ultimately is, is, is driven at who we are. It, it really ultimately alive in us is a manifesto that it's alive in you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And, 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 what, and what I want, amen. You know what's going to be good, man. You know, when you get the frequency, amen, you know what I'm saying? Like when the, even if you won't shout, the frequency will shout. You know what I mean? Thank you, frequency. And, and, and these declarations of intent for our lives, we want them to be markers for us, right? Like that, that Jesus would be our message. That like your life, the message over your life is just Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less, right? Like just like Jesus is our message that serving would be our privilege, that we would just live, not just in the house of God, but in our lives. Just like, can you believe we get to do this? Can you believe we get to live in these moments for these times to see the kingdom of God move in these ways? Like, can you believe it? Like serving is our privilege and that celebration would be our soundtrack. Our circumstances have no effect on our praise. Our problems begin to worry about the effectiveness of our praise. Are you hear what I'm saying? That it would just come out of us. That celebration would be our soundtrack. That generosity would be our standard. And people would just be like, are you kidding me? That when they interact with us as, as people, they'd be like, I can't believe they live so open-handed with who they are, with what they have, because generosity is our standard. That honor would be our language. That we, that we let the words of our mouth speak truth into the lives of those around us. And that hope would be our belief. These are things that we want to be in the fabric of who we are. Just woven deep within us. I mean, these are statements. This is who we are. And these are the things we're going to fight to become. And 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us that we all, with unveiled faces, we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. And as we lean into him, as we lean into who Jesus is and, and who Jesus has called us to be, we will be transformed into an image of him. Do you know that, that God is doing something in you so that he can do something through you? Did you hear what I said? That, that God is doing something in you so that he can do something through you. And if you have a Bible, I want you to go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. I love 1 Peter because Peter was writing to the church that feels like they're in a very similar place than we are today. He is writing 
two believers. They found themselves surrounded in a culture by a people that did not believe what they believed and honestly could not understand how they could believe what they believed. They found themselves in a place that was celebrating things that were destroying this very society that they were living in. Sexual immorality, sexual freedom. It, just, it, was, it was a confusing time. You feel like you're living in a confused time. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, this is what it says. And I want you to hear it as if he's writing it to you. He says, dear friends, I urge you. As foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Listen to verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans, among those who don't believe what you believe. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter is saying to us right, how, right, right here, right now, that a, a, even as you feel like culture is coming against you, to live in such a way that all that people can see is heaven coming from you. That as culture begins to come against you, that your life, how you live, should reflect what heaven looks like coming from you and what I what I want to talk about today and what I want to lean into the title of my message is right now right now because I don't know if you've noticed but we're living in a time where everybody wants to talk about what's coming is this the end of it all is Jesus coming back? Is climate change going to flood the world? Right? Like everyone has a prediction about what's coming. But what I believe that the Lord wants us to understand this morning is that we can get distracted thinking about what's coming and miss where we are. You hear what I'm saying? We can get distracted obsessing about what might be coming that we miss where we are standing. Because right now, matters. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you're with us. Thank you that your glory is already here. Thank you, God, that your presence was so rich during worship, and we just acknowledge it. And we're asking that you would open up our hearts and our minds to hear from you this morning, that we would be changed as we dive into your word. And everybody said, amen. amen. And I'm going to say something that, that's going to shock some of you. Okay, and that is that this year that, uh, that I'm going to turn 40 years old. I know it's hard to imagine that because I, I don't look a day over 20, you know. But, you know, favor isn't fair. Don't judge me, you know. But, but I've been thinking, you know, I didn't, I, birthdays have never affected me, all right? Like, everybody was like, oh, when you turn 30, it's going to be so hard. I loved it, partially because I was a pastor and being a pastor in your 20s, it feels like no one's going to listen to what you say until you turn 30. So I was like 30. I was like, finally. Right? So birthdays have never had like a negative effect on me. But I've been thinking a little bit about turning 40. And I got to be honest with you, like there, there are days where I'm kind of like, huh. Like, yo, like there's a good chance I've got less life in front of me than I have behind me. 
And I was like, dude, have I done everything I thought I was going to do? You know, like, and so like, I've been in a little bit of a struggle of, of trying to reconcile the fact that, wow, like, I am, I, I remember my dad's 40th birthday party and he was old. <laughs> and, and so like, but, but I have to be honest with you, like I look back on my, on my almost 40 years of life and man, I have to say like, I'm thankful. Yeah. Like I'm thankful uh, of the life I've got to live and, and I'm thankful for the, the people I get to live it with. Like my beautiful wife. I've been married to this beautiful lady up here. For almost 18 years. Come on now. That's pl- platforming. That's it. We, be, yeah, clap, clap for her. We're, we're going to talk about that for a minute. I don't know who that was. All right. but So, I, so we've been married for, for almost 18 years. Right, and I've learned over that time that the, the female mind is superior than the male mind. All right, like the, the female mind is a phenomenal place. It, it, the female mind is so spectacular that the limitations of the English language cannot contain the female mind. Now, and wh- what I mean is, is, is that the, the capability of, of the female mind to be able to dissect what you're feeling when they don't know what they're feeling is special. You know, I mean, they could just tell you everything, why you feel that way and what, and, and what happened and everything, but, they, but not know what they feel. It's a magical place, the female mind. <laughs> the, the, the other thing that I've learned over these almost 18 years of marriage is that words have meanings based on situations, not on definitions. <laughs> okay, this was new to me. I, I did not know that words could mean different things based on the usage and timing of the word. Like the word now. This is a great example. I grew up thinking, hey, I need you to do this right now. That means that you do it right now, right? Okay, no, that in the female mind, the word now is defined by the usage of the word not the meaning of the word. Like, are you almost ready? Yes, I'm ready right now. <laughs> to understand what now means in that moment means you have to look at the context surrounding the sentence to be able to understand the chosen definition of the word now. So, so you could, so, hey, babe, are you coming? Yes, I'm coming right now. That doesn't mean she's coming right now. That means she's coming when she's ready to come, and you need to know that based on the surrounding situation of what's happening in the sink. Okay? This was all new. I, I didn't know this when I first got married that now had different definitions. Now, but I learned that now always has the same definition when it's used in relationship to me. Okay? So if now, like if I'm told to do something right now, my circumstances have no effect upon the definition of the interpretation of that word that now to me means now. But now in relationship to her means assess the situation and tread softly. <laughs> Anybody else, right? Like, yes, it's, I, I love girl power. The female mind is a wonderful place wonderful, wonderful place. But can I say that the problem 
is that when we say one thing but mean another thing, it can lead to confusion. Right? When we say one thing, we, we mean another thing, it can lead to confusion. But the games that we play sometimes with each other, by saying one thing and meaning another thing, God does not play those games. God, when, when God says something, God means what he says. Are you hearing me? When, when God is talking, we should be listening. When God speaks something, we need to understand that he means it. Numbers 23, 19 says it this way, that God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Hear me, the confusion that we sometimes encounter in life happens because of what I like to call the translation tension. The translation tension, meaning how we understand what God has said will affect how we live in what God has said. How we understand what God has said, our interpretation of what God has said will shape, will affect how we live in what God has said. Listen to Psalms 139, verse 13. For you, all right? This is, you listen to this because this is for you. For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So you were made by the hands of God. And when he looked at you after he made you, he wrote a book for your life. They were full of his plans and his purposes for you. And the chapter that you are in right now matters. The chapter you are in right now matters. Hear me, this is going to be tough. Even if you don't like the chapter you're in. Even if you don't like the chapter that you're in. Even if it's a hard chapter to read, that God has something for you right now. Right now. Can I, can I, can I say this? Maybe God has you where he has you because of what he wants to do through you. Maybe he's put you in a tough place so that the glory of God can come out of you and it can affect that place. First Peter 2, again, that we're foreigners, we're exiles, we don't fit, it, does, it shouldn't work. We're foreigners, we're exiles, but in view of God's... Sorry, I jumped ahead to my next verse. First Peter 2, we're foreigners, we're exiles, that we should abstain from sinful desires. 
don't look like the world. We shouldn't feel like the world. We shouldn't sound like the world because those things wage against our soul. We have to live in such a way. We have to live such a good life among those who don't believe that even if they accuse us, they can't help but see that heaven is coming from us. How we live in the days ahead, maybe even now more than ever matters. Are you hearing me? Paul said it this way, that death can be at work in us. 2 Corinthians 4.12, so that life can be at work in them. Death can be at work in us, but life is at work in you. The season we're in is not just for you, but it's an opportunity for the glory of God to come through you. Romans 12.1 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, and this is your true and proper worship. Can, can I just shoot straight? Can I just like get, go there really quickly? We have missed what worship can be because we've shrunk it to singing in front of church. And then it's all about like, yo, I don't like that song. I don't connect with that song. I don't, I don't get that vibe. That's, that's never worship, worship was never supposed to be that. It's a part of it, but it's not that. You know what Jesus actually said in, in Matthew 15, 8? He's like, people honor me with my lips. They come to church and they sing, but their hearts are far from me. So you, you can come and sing a little song and do a little dance. And that doesn't mean that you're worshiping. Because worship has more to do with what's happening in here than what's happening out here. And we've got to come together. We have to, we have to worship together. We talk about it all the time. We were in this weird season of not meeting together and still some of us are not able to come back together again corporately, man. But being in the room, it matters. You feel me? Like you're in this place. You're like, wow, that's a different experience. Why is that? Because God honors when his people come together. God honors when his people come together and glorify his name and sing songs to him and listen to his word. Like there's something about it that can't be replicated in your living room. Like it really matters that we get in the house. But our worship should not be relocated to just this, these moments. Like honestly, what happens here on a Sunday should be, should be like a reflection of what's going on on Monday. That our lives were living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. Our entire lives are worship. And if we really grab that, that changes dramatically how we do what we do every day. It shifts dramatically how we see some of the things that we perceive as mundane. Because if my life is a living sacrifice, I'm no longer stuck in traffic. I've been invited into a prayer meeting. Are you hearing me? That we don't have encounters here on Sunday. We have encounters out there. 
So, so we're no longer driving our kids to school with their friends. We just have an impromptu discipleship meeting with our children and their friends. Because our life should look like, feel like, and sound like heaven all the time. All of the time. Not some of the time. All of the time. Because our, we, we're offering our bodies as living everything we do. Can I say this? The work of your hands is to display the glory of God on the earth. That's not just for people who are preachers and worship leaders. That means that you can be an accountant. And the work of your hand can display the glory of God on the earth. Because worship is about what's going on in here. It's not about what's happening out here. You could be a social worker and it could be the most holy thing in the earth. You could be a police officer and it can be worship. It's not about your position, right? It's not about what you do. It's not, excuse me, it's not about your occupation. What, what, you, what you do for your job. No, it's about the position of your heart. And, and what we need is more people living their life worshiping. Engaging with where God has placed you for the sake of the glory of God to come from within you. Worship in its purest form is simply just focusing on who God is and what is coming. That's what worship is. Man, this is who God is, man. And you know what's coming? He's coming. And so you, you, you put that in the central place in your mind. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It becomes a holy act. Washing dishes become powerful. Right? It, it, it should change us. Again, 2 Corinthians 3, that we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And there is so much that is packed into these verses. There's this beautiful connection with, with how the limits and the barriers of the old covenant, how the people had to engage with the presence of God by going through a series of rituals to prepare themselves to engage partly with God's glory. Before Jesus, you had to go through a, a system, a process to engage his presence. So the significance of being able to contemplate with an unveiled face the Lord's glory is huge when we understand that what separated the people of God from the presence of God was a veil. And in the, in the old covenant, there was a tabernacle. In that tabernacle, there was a place that was called the Holy of Holies. And what separated the people of God from the presence of God was a veil. And there's only one person that could go in there once a year on behalf of the people. And now we all with unveiled faces can contemplate his glory, his goodness. And, and we can engage with all of who he is because of what Jesus made a way for. When Jesus uttered those words, it is finished, you know what happened? That veil that separated the people from the presence of God was torn. And that was a picture that now we all with unveiled faces can contemplate his glory and be transformed into his image. Because when we look like him, his glory begins to come off of us. 
This is what happened to Moses and the people asked him to put a veil on his face. Moses had an encounter with the glory of God. He said, God, I want to see your glory. God had his goodness pass before him. As the goodness of God passed before him, it affected his countenance so much that when he came down from the mountain, the people were like, whoa, this is too much. Your face is radiating the glory of God. Put a veil on your face because when we draw close to him, he becomes who we reflect. And now we all can gaze at him, study him, lean into him, and therefore be transformed into all of who he has called us to be. And can I say the purpose and maybe even the privilege of being alive right now is to be those that have the countenance of Christ in the midst of the chaos of our culture. It is a privilege. It is a privilege. You're never going to hear me pray God, get me out of the chaos. I'm going to say, God, let me rescue as many people in the midst of the chaos. Let the glory of God get so big on my face that when I step downtown, it, people have to notice. They have to notice. The intent of all that we do as people who love Jesus and honor him with our lives, everything that we build, everything that we touch, everything that we create, the intent is that we would be those who reflect the glory of God on the earth. But how many of you know that intent does not naturally equal impact? Can I say that? Intent does not naturally equal impact. Not at all, actually. 1 Samuel 16, if you have a Bible, you can jump there. What we're going to find, we've been jumping around the life of David over the past couple of weeks. If you guys enjoyed that, I would say it initially was unintentional, and I believe that the Lord is making it intentional. But here in 1 Samuel 16, we're going to start in verse 14. You need a little, under, a little understanding of the context of what's happening here. David has already had that blow away moment when Samuel, the prophet of God, found him in obscurity and defined his future with a prophetic calling. He looked at David, who at this point was just a shepherd, and he said, you will be the next king of Israel. Anybody had a moment with God where God speaks to you clearly who, who, who you will become? You have a moment with God where, where it just gets crystal clear. This is my identity. This is who God has called me to be. This can happen just while you're worshiping Jesus. This could happen through somebody in your life group, somebody who's discipling you. Maybe they get a word for you. And man, when they speak that word, you're like, wow, God is on this thing. And these are not just words. This is a something that I need to hold on to and remember. David has this blow away moment when God drops a promise on him. But it's important that we understand that the clarity of our promise is not connected to time, but to character. This is an unpopular word in the church. Our promise is connected to our character more than timing. So God can speak a word, and it's our character that has to catch up to the word. 
The clarity of what we feel like God has for us sometimes does not line up with what we perceive to be the restraints of character development that is around us. And so oftentimes, we leave what feels like restraint too soon because we skip preparation. And in skipping preparation, we enter into what God has for us, not 100% developed to be able to carry what he's given us, and therefore we blow it. Because our promise is not connected to a time. Our promise is connected to our character. Intent does not equal impact. David gets this massive promise. He's going to lead the people of Israel. Samuel leaves him. David does not go sit on a throne in that moment. David goes back and sits in a field. He goes and sits in a field because the promise over his life was clear, but how he was going to get there was still TBD. It was still to be determined because the potential of the prophetic promise over our life is connected to the development of our character. What we're going to find in verse 14 is the current king stepped out of the covering of God. He did the very thing that God asked him not to do. And it says this, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. How many of you know when we step outside the covering of God, it exposes us to the consequences of disobedience? Verse 15, that didn't get an amen. Those rarely do, but it'll help you. Verse 15, Saul's attendant said to him, see an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let the Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play with a liar and he will play when the, evil, when the evil spirit from God comes on you, you will feel better. Look, this is not what I'm going to preach about, but this is a little bit of a side note. Be careful who you put your, as your inner circle. Notice that none of Saul's guys could help him when he was in trouble with the demon. They said, we got to go find somebody. Right? Make sure that your crew has you. That one's free. So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays okay. Oh, wait, that's not what it says. Find someone who has a heart to play. Nope. Find someone who plays well. Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. Doesn't say... Find someone who can. It says, find me someone who plays well. When we're starting to think about what we're doing right now, most of the time, it's about endurance and not worship. You feel me? If I can just make it through what I'm going through right now. If I can just get through this then it's going to be better. Our right now oftentimes is marked with more endurance than worship. It's about making it through, not making it great. But when the world who is in tor tor torment right now, when the world who's in torment, when they start looking for a way out of their torment, 
our lack of preparation in our season will create a gap in our impact. This is why Colossians 3.22 says it this way. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eyes are on you and to curry favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. So working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ who you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Think about the power of these verses that even if we find ourselves as a slave, that we can be free because of the motivation of our hearts when we're doing what we're doing. We can find ourselves in a situation that feels like bondage and still be free because of the motivation of our hearts when we're doing what we're doing because we're doing it for the Lord. We're not doing it for anybody that's around us. Like you can, like you might find yourself in a medial job, like just like feeling like you're stuck in the middle, but man, you live in alive in God and becoming the very best at what you do, then those who are over you and those who are with you will take note that there's something different about you. The world is in torment and they need to be rushing to the church. The design of God is that people would rush to the church and find people who are excellent at what they do and captivated by the glory of God. Not for the sake of being the best, but for the sake of demonstrating a great God to the earth. That we can do everything and be free because of the intention of our hearts when we're doing it. And, and I just want to say, if you feel like you're in a place in your career or in the lack of your career, a place in your relationships or your family or lack of relationships or family, maybe you don't want to be there. I want you to hear me say, do what you can do and do it with everything that you have. Do it with everything that you have. Give your all. Become amazing and what your hands are touching. Do it unto the Lord. Don't do it unto your master. Do it unto the Lord, man. I'm, I'm, I'm not just checking people out the grocery store. I'm worshiping, man. I, I, I'm not just like serving people coffee, man. This is a holy place. I'm not just filling out reports in my office. No, this is worship that's happening right now. I'm not just out hustling, trying to drum up sales. No, worship glory because I'm not doing it for my earthly master. I'm doing it unto the Lord. And therefore, it doesn't matter what I'm doing out here. If my intentions in here is that his glory is going to come through me, then whatever I'm doing becomes a place where heaven is invading earth. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Again, Romans 12, 1. I urge you, brothers and sisters... I urge you in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So tomorrow I want you to wake up confident that God has put you where he put you. That God put you where he put you. He put you in what feels like the restraints you're walking in so that his glory can come through you. He puts you in what feels like an impossible situation so his glory can come through you. He 
put you in a place that's going to stretch you so his glory can come through you. He put you in a place that feels like you can't win so his glory can come through you. He put you in a place that feels like a struggle so his glory can come through you. And he's going to give you breakthrough, not because of who you are, but because of who he is. And God is going to move in power through your life. And all we have to do is offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And not just say like, man, okay, cool, I'm just going to have another Monday. No, I'm going to have a worship revival day on Monday. I'm going to give everything that I have. I'm going to become the best realtor Austin has ever seen. I'm going to become the best nurse that Austin's ever had. Because my motivation is not to be great. My motivation is to reflect greatness. My motivation is to look unveiled before him. My motivation is to be transformed into his glory. So right now, I want you to stand to your feet. I want you to begin to begin to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, to begin to reframe how you see what you do and understand that when you offer your body as a living sacrifice, that the presence of God is gonna transform you and it's gonna transform everybody who's around you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, everybody says,